Good afternoon. Welcome to another fantabulous episode of Screen Cleaning. It is a monster-sized show today. and Ooh. I Ooh. Scary, Cole. Uh-huh. The reason I use monster is because we're actually going to be having a scary theme on the show today. There's nothing... We're not even close to Halloween yet, but there seems to be a lot of scary media lately, right? That's right, and we're going to tackle some of it and tackle some of the the academically reasons that people get scared. Or And we're going to talk to an expert because Jeff and I, we just get scared at everything. And yeah. So we figured we'd bring someone else in. And there are plenty of reasons why maybe you shouldn't watch scary movies. But what about the benefits of watching scary movies? Ah. We're going to be talking about that later with Margie Kerr, who is an author, talking about that very thing. But first, like we do on each and every show, we give you the very best in entertainment news. And we thought since it's kind of a scary theme today, we would kind of highlight the scary news or the news in the horror realm. Uh, The first one – has to do with our very last show that we did on Tim Burton. And there is going to be a Broadway musical of Beetlejuice. Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice. There it is. After we talked so much about Danny Elfman writing scores for musicals and writing songs and everything... Is he going to be involved at all? Like, are they using the music? He's from... not. I don't know if Aww. he's if he's going to be like a consultant or anything. Maybe even... he'll make some money off of it. Yeah, I'll so. probably, probably. credit it at least, right? So, uh, what's interesting about this? It's funny because you see the poster for it, and it says Beetlejuice, a musical, a musical, a musical, or the <laughs> musical, the musical, the musical, and uh, it. It looks like at least the production of it is very Tim Burton-esque. It looks like something that Tim Burton would sign off on and be proud of. That black and white gothic design we love so much? I'd go see it. Sure. If I had a hundred extra dollars and, <laughs> and I lived in New York. New York address, yeah. <laughs> if it's popular, I'll probably come to San Francisco. Maybe. You know, maybe they'll do a tour. Maybe. Depends on how well it's received. Uh, so, sp- speaking of horrors... There have been many, many Chucky or Child's Play movies. Yes. Right? And all of which all of which have been voiced by uh, Brad Dourif. Right? An iconic horror man. Yeah. He's, Voice, anyway. If you don't recognize him from that, you might know him from One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, where he got an Oscar nomination. He was also Worm Tongue in uh, the, the Lord, uh, of, the Lord of the Rings trilogy. Yeah. But... In this new Child's Play movie, which is not affiliated with this other series, uh, does not have the approval of the original filmmakers, as I understand, right, But Cole? there is one thing that did get his nod of approval, and that's who they chose to voice the new Chucky. It will be Mark Hamill. Ooh, what a good choice. <laughs> Mr. Voiceover himself. I think that's not a surprise at all. When I, hmm. when I first read that, I thought... Yeah, I totally get that. That the makes clown perfect sense. Prince of voiceover, Mark Hamill, very famous for his Joker trickster kind of the way he does that uh, element. He's going to bring that, I'm sure, to Chucky. And these filmmakers have such a luxury in that they can film the entire movie before they even cast the voice of Chucky because you don't hear the voice of Chucky. They just use these little 
puppets and their CGI, I'm sure. And yeah, reminder, Child's Play is coming out later this year. Right. So it's weird that we're still getting like casting news. So he could it. just go into a booth and knock it out in a week or so, if that. He's such a pro, I'm sure it wouldn't even take him that long. But uh, speaking of Mark Hamill as the Joker, this next piece of Joker news does not involve Mark Hamill, but it involves something that all three of us, I think, are pretty excited about. Right? So first. Yeah, we're going to go. Yeah. Um, There is a new Joker movie coming out, not tied in to the overall DC universe. This is apparently going to be the first film in a new production company that is going to do standalone DC origin movies that are not tied into the overall DC universe, which is kind of kind of a bit of a mess right now. I was going to say, Wouldn't that doesn't say? really like, – I don't really get it. <laughs> yeah. Um, but hey, I'm, I am intrigued because they – the filmmakers and I'm sure Joaquin Phoenix have signed on to just do one movie. It's a one and done type of deal unless it makes Uber Knock dollars. Knock on wood. <laughs> but – uh, I believe uh, Joaquin Phoenix was supposed to be one of the characters in the MCU or one of these other universes, and he didn't want to do it. He was going to be uh, he was going to be the Hulk, but he didn't want to sign on for multiple pictures. So I mean, Ed Norton was the Hulk, and he didn't do that either. So yeah, <laughs> I think Joaquin yeah. will be much better as the Joker. This yes, trailer from the trailer, and it looks good. Yeah. This trailer is the best one I've seen in years. Your eyebrows w- kind of went up when I told you that for the first time, Cole. But it is because I want to have a movie, a best movie trailers discussion sometime here on the show. Today's not that day, but you intrigued me. But this would I've be in the thoughts. discussion. It's unsettling. Sure. It looks fascinating. And Joaquin Phoenix, like, just watching it, I think. Just give him the Oscar right now. He's got it. Wow. What a performance, at least in the trailer. Um, any other news? You guys said that there's a sort of a, a kind of a big piece of news that I wasn't aware of. Well, we have another trailer that we want to mention. Oh, right. That the Lion King – Disney is making all of these live-action remakes nowadays. And so we got our first look <laughs> at – the CGI quote unquote live action. So the next animated Lion King yeah. movie. Lion King. Yeah. Which looks, I think it looks cool. You guys can not like it if you want, but I, you know what? I'm going to go. Well, we're going to go because we'll see it for free. Right. But, well, uh... <laughs> I'm going to pay. I'm going to pay for it. Wow. Probably $5. But okay. I'll go. Now, um, there's something else that we could pay to see that's also related to Disney. And how much would we pay to see that, Cole? Yeah, it would be about six ninety nine a month for a package deal because the big Disney news of the week is that Disney Plus announced their pricing, their release dates, and a lot of the content that they'll be launching with or that will be showing up there within the first year. A live-action say... Lady and the Tramp included, speaking – and this one actually with dogs and cats, not just CGI. Oh, okay. Dogs this one will just go straight to the service this and not to the okay. – Straight right, to no Disney+. Plus. But yeah, Disney Plus opens up November the 12th at six ninety nine a month or a, a package for the whole year as they normally do that's a little bit cheaper, like – $69, if that adds up right. I can't believe you're telling me $7 and Disney in the same sentence. <laughs> 
It seems I like can, it'd be more expensive than that. when you realize just how little they really bring to the table, and especially right out of the gate, they are going to have all of the things that they've been talking about. They will be bringing all of the Star Wars movies during the first year as those okay. rights kind of free up. Marvel movies, Captain Marvel, which is still in theaters now and you can go see, will premiere on November the 12th on Disney Plus to stream. It'll be the last one that's not on Netflix. It'll mm-hmm. be okay. on Disney Plus. What I want to know is... Will we have access to every Disney movie? Will we have access to every Marvel movie? Or are they kind of – do they kind of pick and I choose which ones I think the goal will... is yes, but not immediately because they're still tied up in some licensing agreements with other streaming services or, okay. you know, wherever else. Pixar, for example, one of the big things right. that's coming, they say during the first year all of the Pixar movies will be there. All the Pixar shorts will be available. Mm-hmm. During the first year. So what then – what happens after that? Well, they'll start showing up during the first year is what okay, that means. Okay. So they'll still be there. So let me tell you this. If the answer is yes to that question of will all of this content be available, $7 might kind of be a no-brainer because I think they're banking on the fact that people would rather just pay a subscription than rent every than single movie. buy every single movie, which is what we are currently doing. So as a father of young children – this could really be worth yeah. it. Maybe we just cancel Netflix and focus on, on a service that, that has uh, material that I want my kids or I'm okay with my kids watching. And it's smart business because you have children that are of varying ages, one that's you know under two years old and things like that. And so if you want to have Disney movies in your house now and you're not going to buy them, you will have to buy mm. every single month Disney Plus for the next 14 years and. You know, or more if you have more kids and they start growing up, they are locking you in. The way it works is, though, my kids get excited about one movie. They watch it a bunch of times and then they get burnt out and they never watch it again. So do you know whether this Disney streaming app will give you the option to download movies? It will. <gasps> You're download kidding. and take with you. Oh, my goodness. This is starting to we sound better and better. We just Jeff Maybe on I'll, tell you what, Disney maybe Plus. I'll just never go to Disneyland ever again, and we'll just have the Disney app. And they also <laughs> announced a few oh. of the other originals that are going to happen. You mentioned Marvel movies. There will be plenty of live-action Marvel television shows mm-hmm. like WandaVision, which is the all-time worst name for right. a television is that show. It's like, the is Scarlet that... Witch and Vision. In oh, their I own. thought it was going to be One Direction, like a, oh, something with no, them. No, they're, they're long since deceased. All, really? all one word, WandaVision, um, featuring Wanda and Vision. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. The Falcon and the Winter Soldier, uh, a Loki television show that doesn't have a title yet. Those will all be coming. So kind of all the lesser superheroes that right. are putting the all their that money they could, into the, okay. that could would sign on to do a TV show. But there's also going to be a Star Wars uh, original series. Okay. With Diego Luna and your man Alan Tudyk. Really? Yes, as he will that be robot? reprising his role as the robot. Oh, cool. In a television show. Also, The Mandalorian, new episodes of The Clone Wars mm-hmm. within the Star Wars So universe. this comes out when? November. I will November sign up for a free trial at the very least. It comes out a couple weeks before Frozen 2, and they will also be debuting a making of Frozen 2 in order to promote that and make oh, sure boy. people get butts in the theater seats. Can we finally see the 22-minute Olaf short that everybody loved so much? Yeah, probably. probably. (laughs) (laughs) Now, okay, one other question. Is it going to be a week-long or a month-long free trial? I'm guessing a week. 
They did not announce how to game the system in their big announcement of (laughs) how cool it's going to be. Okay. Well, we'll look forward to that. In the meantime, I understand, speaking of children's content, I understand there are a few movies out that we need to review, Cole. Yeah, let's start off with Missing Link Mm. out this week. Missing Link is an animated movie from the same production company that's brought us Kubo and the Two Strings. It's yes. a sort of stop motion looking uh, different style. It's it's not it's not going to be your typical American Marvel movie kind of humor out of this one. Know that before you go in. But I really, really enjoyed it. It's a kind really? of fish out of water story of this cocky adventurer that goes to find Sasquatch. And he finds him and he's voiced by Zach Galifianakis. <laughs> and then they go on a journey to reunite him with his Yeti cousins and it's a nice adventure everyone grows and learns compassion and friendship along the way and it was a beautiful movie with a very obvious message but sometimes for kids that's fine it was funny enough and pretty enough to keep kids engaged and i really enjoyed it is it as dark as some of the other leica films that they've put out I don't think so. Like Coraline was an amazing oh, film. That's definitely probably not. the best <laughs> film they've put out, but I uh I wouldn't say it's really a kids movie. Is this like a genuine kids movie? This is on the lighter side of Leica, yes. Okay. Wow. I'm gonna have to take my kids to see that one. I would recommend it. Um another one that I probably would show my kids at some point that I watched with my wife actually is called Storm Boy. Okay. You might have to look a little harder for this one, but it's based on a nineteen sixty four children's book. About a young boy who's nicknamed Storm Boy, lives with his reclusive father. Sounds like a superhero. Are we talking superhero, Jeff? No, 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 no. He lives with his reclusive father who's nicknamed Hideaway Tom because he's a, like I said, he's a recluse. Sounds like a nom de plume, a superhero secret identity. They live in the sand dunes near the Southern Ocean. They fish and they barter and Hideaway Tom acts as Storm Boy's teacher. Well, one day Storm Boy rescues three pelican chicks. After their mother is shot down, very sad. I looked online, by the way, to see if there's a baby name for pelicans. The only thing I could come across was chicks. Uh, With the help of Fingerbone Bill, who is another recluse, he's an aboriginal recluse, uh, he teaches the chicks, Mr. Proud, Mr. Ponder, and Mr. Percival, how to fly and survive. And the story jumps back and forth between the past and the present with Jeffrey Rush portraying adult Storm Boy. And he recounts to his granddaughter the special bond and adventures shared with his favorite of the pelicans, Mr. Percival. Now, there are several other adaptations of this movie. There's a 1976 film. There's an audio dramatization of this. There is a stage play of it. And believe it or not, just last year, they came out with a video game for Storm Boy. So I'm looking for Storm Boy the Ride next. And that's a ride that I would take because it's a very beautiful film. And it's reminiscent in a way of another boy-animal friendship movie, The Black Stallion. The pelicans are quite remarkable, and they're super charming creatures. And Storm Boy, who's portrayed by Finn Little, he's just going to melt your heart. He's such a sweet little boy. And there's just a simplicity and there's a reverence about this movie that is really a nice change of pace. And... uh 
it might be a little slow the first third of it. You might feel yourself thinking it kind of drags along, but you really do fall in love with the characters, at least the ones that are in the past, the ones in the present, not so much. Um, there's nothing really objectionable and objectionable in terms of content. However, there there are a couple of scenes that are a little heavier, a little intense for the youngest of viewers. My wife cried. I don't mean to throw her under the bus, but she did cry. Crying's fine. I do yes. it in almost every movie. <laughs> yeah. Then there is another well, film. You, you might have to look hard to find Storm Boy. You don't yes. have to look hard to find Shazam. It was the box office champion of All last right. week. And since we didn't have a new show, we'd like to mention that I saw it and it was good. <laughs> wow. It's, it's the newest superhero movie to enter our lives. We talked about how Joker's not part of the DCEU. Shazam kind of is, and he at least lives in a world that you can tell these upper, other superheroes are in too. Yeah. Because the majority, if not 100% of the jokes from the movie are just poking fun at the other DC heroes, okay. saying that he's funnier than Batman and just having merchandise around the house and his little friend is always wearing t-shirts of Superman or Aquaman or Wonder Woman. And little so it, meta? It's, yeah, it's very meta and it's it's funny um, and it's, it's lighthearted and mm. it's exactly what the DC Extended Universe wasn't when it first started. And so that's Shazam. It'll probably still be the number one movie at the box office this weekend as well. So that's a movie I wish I would have seen last night. But I saw instead the not so subtly titled Little, which is the inverse of 1988's Big in more ways than one, it turns out. While Tom Hanks's character in the former wishes he could be big, Regina Hall's character in Little has a curse placed on her that makes her, you guessed it, Little. While Big was genuinely funny, utilizing Hanks's charm and ability to bring out the child inside, Little is painfully unfunny and wastes every capable actor involved by not giving them a script worthy of their talents. Big got away with murder with its taboo themes that would never fly today. Little kills its potential by playing it too safe and beating its audience over the head with the lesson to be learned. It's a tragedy, really, because considering the performances of Regina Hall, Issa Rae, and the most confident person in the film, 13-year-old Marseille Martin, the little version of Regina Hall's ruthless tech mogul, that confidence kind of carries over into the filmmaking process, too, because at now 14 years old... Martin is the youngest executive producer to date of any film that I could wow, find. Wow, that's pretty yeah. cool. Not joking, you will find yourself wishing you were watching a different movie. It's never a good sign when the trailers are more entertaining than this seems longer than it is hour and 49 feature. Sad. Yeah. There is one more Just movie. Just a little warning. The, oh, well. <laughs> couldn't, couldn't get out of it with one more pun. There's one more movie that came out that we're not going to review in full right now, and that is Pet Cemetery, that mm. was number two at the box office last week. I saw that as well, and it was a service of a remake as well, but it was definitely horror and scary, and it, it makes you think about why we watch these scary movies. Right, and I don't necessarily think that by watching Pet Cemetery, that might actually <clears> – <throat> there might actually be some benefits to watching Pet Cemetery. <laughs> But as we're about to find out by speaking to our next guest, Margie Kerr, 
there may be some good that comes out of watching scary movies. And I can't wait to find out what those benefits are when we return. This is Screen Cleaning. Say my name so my powers will become yours. Giselle. Are you for real? Say it's okay! Say my name. Some of us like to be scared and some of us don't, but did you know that being scared might actually be good for you? Well, today we have sociologist and fear expert Margie Kerr in the studio, and Margie is the author of the book Scream, The Chilling Adventures of Science and Fear, and she's a lover of all things scary, and hopefully she'll help us figure out why we love scary movies so much. Margie, welcome to Screen Cleaning. Thank you. Great to be here. So why is it that you think people like watching scary movies? There's, there's a lot of reasons. Um, my colleague and I have found uh, that people like to do scary things because it does physically make us feel good. Once our uh, fight-or-flight response starts going, in the context of safety, those physiological changes can be experienced as as positive, um, you know, the, the adrenaline and the endorphins and all of the changes that are happening, uh, you know, can, can feel good. Not for everybody. Some people don't like the feeling of their heart racing or um, that, that kind of uh, anxious excitement. Um, but for others, it can be fulfilling in and of itself. It's also typically a very social activity, so you're usually watching movies with your friends. Yeah. So there's a lot of bonding and just exchange of emotional kind of excitement. Um, you know, we feel closer to our friends when we're um, in, t- in times of stress. So it builds really strong memories and serves to, to bond friends more closely together. So why is it, I mean, I, I totally get all of that. Why is it that you think scary movies are so popular? Because you, you talk about that adrenaline rush, and certainly there are other ways that we can get that. Is it just a matter of accessibility and ease of use? Why, why do you think so many people flock to see these scary movies? That's, that's part of it, is, is the accessibility. And uh, we also found that after doing something scary, people feel like they have challenged themselves and overcome their fears. So it's serving as a kind of self-growth moment and also then bringing a sense of uh, accomplishment and like a confidence boost. And, and it's, you know, a testament to the amazingness of our brain, really, that we can know that we're safe, know that we're not actually confronting something that is going to hurt us, but yet still feel a sense of um, you know, accomplishment and success, like we survived, uh, even though we were in the safety of our own home or a movie theater. It's that process of facing something stressful, feeling the anxiety, feeling the anticipation, and making it out alive. Um, evolutionarily, you know, those who were able to do that uh, survived. And so it's, you know, a um, similar almost to like running a 5K or rock climbing, you're doing something challenging, you're enduring, and you make it through. And so it's a boost of of self-esteem. And I think it's also a way for people to engage with and learn about content that is, 
legitimately scary, but behind a protective frame or, you know, from a distance. So we can get close to danger, but we don't actually have to be in it. And so it's, it can be satisfying to uh, gain some control over these very scary ideas and content. It seems like since this is a visual medium, it would it would impact our brains even more than, you know, participating in an activity that would push us to the limit or test our fear. Because since it's a visual medium, it's burning these images into our brains. You mentioned the brain. So it's it's interesting to see so many people flock to it, even though, you know, these images could stick with them for a long time. Yeah, it's it is. They're definitely different, you know, viewing versus doing a more active engagement. And um, and some people certainly do have um, very powerful mental images that that, as you said, kind of stick in your mind. Um, and uh, and so that can be uh, a persuasive part for some people, <laughs> or dissuading people if if they are afraid, you know, they're going to to get stuck with these images. Um, typically when we do involve our body, so if we're doing something like going through a haunted attraction or on a roller coaster, it does intensify the, the experience. Um, but certainly viewing very powerful images, especially with the special effects that they have today and and some of the theaters that include, you know, 4D, um, kind of chairs, it's, it becomes a fully immersive experience. Margie, let's talk about you for a minute. I'm curious to know how you came upon this subject and and how you got this interest in fear and and we'll talk about how it could be good for you here in just a minute but where did it all start for you well my my background in academia is in uh studying health social movements or how people organize around health related issues and in the course of my studies, I saw that one very effective way to motivate people is by scaring them. And so I started my research looking at fear from a very different angle, namely um, how fear is used um, by parties to motivate action, to um, organize people. Uh, but while I was doing that, I also I had one of those you know light bulb moments where I realized that, well, wait, I really like doing scary things. I grew up going to haunted houses and, you know, running through the woods and just exploring and going on adventures. And so I had to reconcile how fear is, is not all bad or is, how fear is not just a, a tool, that there's this other side that, you know, it's, it's why we are able to survive. We have this amazing uh, nervous system that allows us to respond quickly and efficiently. And so I just really wanted to see... Um, you know, what fear looks like from every different angle, the good and the bad, and, and try and understand more about um, that intersection of society and the individual, how we determine what is scary, and, and answer that question of why in the world do we like to be scared. Um, so that's really kind of the path uh, that's, that I've followed. So uh, this this topic has been on my mind a lot late, uh, lately, believe it or not, because my kids are at that age where they're kind of on the line of, you know, I want to show them all these classics that I grew up with, some of which are, are kind of scary, and I just don't know if they're quite old enough. And then I, I have the thought, well, you know, I saw these movies at a pretty young age, and I turned out just fine, and I like to think that I'm a creative person. So how do you draw that line? How do you—and I guess it's different from, from family to family, but— 
How do you better gauge at what point is it appropriate to start showing these kids some of these favorite movies of mine? It really, it's a great question to ask, and it really is where parenting is so important because there are, of course, the, the key developmental you know, stages that kids go through, but it's, it's more about knowing where your child is and what kind of content is going to be too much. I always recommend starting with um, you know, reading scary stories, ones that are, are you know, fun, and, and seeing how, how your child reacts and if they have nightmares or if they're <laughs> able to engage with it in a way that is um, uh, encouraging imagination and creativity rather than um, you know, uh, nightmares and, and fear. And, and so I think that starting with, with just reading stories and then even encouraging kids to write their own kind of scary stories, you can gauge where they are. And um, if they have passed that key developmental point where they understand that they can engage with fake monsters in reality and that they're not, you know, they're not really real. Um, and, uh, and then, really thinking about content. And, you know, I, I will never forget seeing Thriller. I, I was, I, gosh, I think I was only maybe like six years old or so, but I remember <laughs> coming down the stairs and seeing Thriller and turning it around and running back up. It was way too much for me yeah. um, at that moment. And it was more about the images and the content because prior to that, I was out, you know, running around farms and picking up animal bones and <laughs> things like that. So <laughs> it's really knowing knowing where your child is with sensitivity to images versus, you know, uh, kind of risky outdoor play. Um, And because, like you said before, the images can really stick because of the way our memory works. We want to remember things that scare us, um, so we avoid them. And so it it is important to kind of try and and test the waters before jumping in with something like, um, you know, Night of the Living Dead or... um, uh, something like that. Yeah, that's a really good point because I've noticed that in my oldest daughter, how she really struggles with movies that have very real issues, like a parent dying, something very traumatic that could really happen to her. But she has no problem picking up this choose your own adventure book where these characters go into this haunted house. She loves that book. I, I've seen her with it every night lately. And yeah, so. Is it just that line between reality and fantasy? Because it seems like, yeah, like you said, I think people can at a certain age accept that, okay, this is make-believe, this is not real, but what about entertainment that is more true to life, like true crime or or some of those traumatic elements in movies where people are experiencing things that could actually happen to them? Yeah, that can be, that can be really too much. You know, it is... Um, uh, easier to engage with the, the fantasy and the imagination, but when it starts getting into ideas of death and what happens after we die and, you know, dealing with the injustice in the world or dealing with the idea that bad things happen to even good people, those are really big uh, issues that are difficult to tackle before you've got the cognitive abilities with yeah. kids, you know, before the age of, well, I mean, depending on how abstract you're going, it, it can really vary, but um, being able to engage in that kind of intellectual thinking and abstracting into the future doesn't come until, you know, we're older in adolescence. And so um, sticking with the more almost simplified kind of monster stories where there's uh, where it, there's not too many existential questions <laughs> presented um, is, uh, I would say, it stays within the fun, scary 
um, arena. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I guess it all comes back to really these types of movies. It might be better if you're watching them in the home so that you have the ability to press pause and stop and explain things, explain what's going on. And this is just make believe or see if they have any questions about any of of anything of what they're seeing. Definitely. That sense of control and agency in the moment is a powerful protector against, you know, negative outcomes down the road. Um, so, yes, reminding your kids, hey, you can stop at any time. You know, we can pause it. Um, having delicious food. So, you know, having popcorn and candy around that um, is <laughs> activating all of those reward systems, um, even comforting blankets, you know, things that make it a enjoyable experience. Um, where you can continuously be reminded that you're in control and the monsters aren't real and it's all, you know, in the pursuit of fun um, is a good setup. And you've always got the go-to, put the hand over your eyes and just peek through your fingers. (laughs) Exactly, yep. If you're just joining us, we're speaking with Margie Kerr, who is the author of the new book, Scream, The Chilling Adventures of Science and Fear. Is this your first book? Have you written others? This is my first book. I'm working on a second book right now uh, with a co-writer, and that's scheduled for publication next spring. Are we allowed to know what that one's going to be about? That one is about pain. So taking a similar approach, looking at uh, the science of pain and how uh, it's, you know, necessary, how it can be useful, um, and helping people hopefully build a better relationship with their body and with with pain. So much of pain is is fear of pain, so really kind of attacking it from uh, reducing the fear of pain angle. So you're tackling subjects that a lot of other people would rather avoid. (laughs) Yes. Fear and pain. (laughs) Yeah. So now let's talk about some of the, the benefits that you see in exposing children to scary movies and scary images, because it's not all bad. There are so many studies out there that talk about the psychological damage that's being done by scary or violent movies. But w- let's talk about some of the good. What what good can come from it? Sure. And so um, I will know our research was, was with adults, but I'm very familiar with a lot of the research looking at resiliency and building resiliency in, in childhood. And it really, um, it, the, the key parts of it are that it is, you know, goal-directed, that it is kind of um, uh, giving power to the child to make a decision of, oh, I want to try and do this scary or risky thing, uh, and, you know, measuring the cost benefits and, and, you know, considering their own abilities and then doing it. And when this happens in the context of their choice, they know that they, they chose it, they can then really own the, the accomplishment, yeah. the feeling of, wow, I, I tried something scary or difficult, and um, even if it didn't work out, I, I tried it and I learned. Uh, and then it also happening in a context of support, you know, and never uh, condemning or shaming a child if they do think something's too scary. That was always one of my biggest um, points when consulting with haunted attractions is that their staff and actors should never make fun of or or shame kids for leaving um, because that's that's not going to that's not going to feel good for the kid. Right. Uh, and it's better to say, oh, you know, 
you showed a lot of courage and, um, you know, you were brave in, in trying it and making it this far. Um, so you want to encourage them to continue to try and do scary things so that they learn that they're able to withstand some stress and withstand some anxiety and that they are, you know, competent and, um, and strong. You know, we really learn how to manage stress and fear that's real by, by essentially practicing it, by having opportunities to um, to test it, and if we can create environments and moments where that happens in a relatively safe space, um, it does build up a sense of of knowledge, of self knowledge that you know I know how my body feels when I'm stressed. I know that I won't always feel like that. I know that I'm you know resilient and I can handle it. But of course, it always has to be. Um, with a lot of parental uh, oversight and, you know, not dragging a, a child into a scary movie, but um, uh, encouraging them to discover their own competencies. This is so interesting, this idea of practicing getting scared. <laughs> yeah, we don't, yeah, we don't know, even really think about that. Right, right. And, and it is important because we Though we wish we could avoid all, you know, fear and pain and all the bad things in life, we know we unfortunately can't. So we might as well figure out how to uh, how our bodies work and how we can become uh, good at it. And and it really in in our research with adults going through haunted attractions, you know, they come out feeling better, mood improves significantly, and and that's directly linked to feeling like they learned about themselves and they challenge their fears. And all of those positive outcomes are linked to rating the experience as more intense and more scary. So, you know, it really is a, a matter of feeling good about making it through, about, you know, confronting something, pushing your boundaries and, and growing. Yeah. I don't know if you feel this way or if, or if anybody that, uh, that conducted or was a part of this study felt this way, but I know that whenever I am scared or I... I see images that unsettle me. I start to process in my mind, okay, now if I were in this situation, I would uh, I'd grab my keys and and put them between my fingers or, you know, I would stash this object right here so that I could have it at the ready. Do you have people that that start to formulate plans based on you know, this hypothetical of what if this happened to me? Yeah, we didn't collect data on that exact question, but just from anecdotal you know, observations and being in the industry for so long, people do come out and immediately start saying, oh, I would do this and I would do that. <laughs> and so there is that kind of plan, uh, planning that happens. And, and it, it makes a lot of sense. The way that we understand uh, each other and understand you know, how to navigate the world is through imagining it ourselves, being able to put ourselves in the same situation and anticipate you know, what's going to happen because that. Uh, fear is really the unknown. So if we can feel like we have some sense of what we would do or how it would work, uh, it reduces that fear because now we feel like we have a sense of knowledge, um, even if it's protecting ourselves from, yeah. you know, Godzilla or something. We've, <laughs> we've imagined it, and that's the first step. <laughs> so we've become very good as audience members, you know, watching from afar of making fun of or uh, – speaking poor of characters in a movie that do things that we might not do. And yet, in reality, we don't necessarily know what we would do if we were put in that situation. 
Is does this right. is this helpful for people to participate this so that they know what they could do or know that they wouldn't what they wouldn't do? I, I think both. I think that a lot of that is you know being able to um, to judge it from a distance with, without actually being in it. When we are you know truly frightened and feel our survival is on the line, um, we're not really the best at strategic or rational thinking <laughs> because all of our energy, all of our resources are going towards uh, our body, and so the higher level thinking is just not accessible in those moments. And so that's why people, you know, run up the stairs instead of out the door. Um, but being able to watch from a distance and think, oh, well, yeah, I, this is where the whole scene went wrong. And this is where, you know, the person could have saved themselves. Um, it is, it is a, a satisfying thing because you feel like you are, you know, um, more prepared, that you would fare better. Uh, and, and that's what leads to the sense of uh, self-esteem boost. Like, oh, I would never have ended up in that situation. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah, maybe it helps your self-esteem. I got to tell you, though, Margie, I would be toast in a situation like this because anytime my kids just start to bleed, I go from like 1 to 11 like that, and I just freak out and, oh, we got to go to the hospital. And, uh. So, yeah, I don't think I would be terribly helpful <laughs> in a scary movie situation. <laughs> And, and a lot of times people have larger reactions when their loved ones are in danger or yeah. pain because there's an even more loss of control since you don't know, you know, what that person is feeling and you love them so much and you want to be able to fix it. And uh, so that can be more anxiety inducing than even experiencing it yourself, especially yeah. for parents and kids. It is interesting. I, I think probably a lot of parents could say this, that there's not much that scares them other than something happening to their kids and just this yeah. idea of I am completely powerless to help them right now. Exactly. That is a, a horrifying feeling, um, again, linked to that whole um, connection of fear and loss of control and yeah. the unknown and not being able to, to, to feel like you are in a position to change things. Margie, other than Thriller that you saw when you were six years old, way too early to be seeing that, do you do you have any other influential films or moments that really had an impact on you and that, that led you to study this topic? Uh, you know, I, I really, I enjoyed the B movie, horror movies, the ones that, uh, you know, were, a lot of them came out in the 80s and they sure. were super campy and... I uh, had, you know, the uh, werewolves and monsters that were, um, you know, comical, just as comical as they were scary, like Monster Squad. Um, yeah. <laughs> and, and so that was really just, I loved that combination of fear and uh, comedy. Um, and then, honestly, the, the movie Never Ending Story was so scary and also um, sad. And I feel like that movie really had a big impact on um, me wanting to understand why we would engage with with material that is that has all of these negative emotional consequences. Um, so yeah, between the, the the comedy scares and the the, the traumatizing <laughs> nature of Never yeah. Story, which I, I joke a lot of my friends we're all you know the same age and we say that movie of we'll just never forget some of the images um, that Oof. were in it and it was so emotional but also so satisfying and we'd watch it over and over and over again yeah um, 
So the wolf, the wolf in that is so terrifying. But I think the reason、oh、I I won't show it to my daughters just yet is when the scene in which Atreyu loses his、oh. horse. That is、yeah. traumatizing. That will burn into your mind like nothing else. <laughs> it did. I tell you what, it did. The that and the and like you said, the wolf just powerful images.、Mm. Um, uh, but uh, yeah, I, I guess the movie. I haven't watched it in years, but the fact that I watched it over and over again, I'm guessing. It was because you know the at the end it was so adventurous and that you know he got through it and it was、yeah. a, a quest with a positive outcome and、um, so yeah wow now now I want to go back and watch it、again. yeah right one for me that I've been thinking about lately because I've really wanted to show it to my kids and it's it's kind of a, a little gem that not many people have seen or if they have they don't remember it that much anymore is Return to Oz did you ever see that one. Oh gosh, I think I did. It was、um, it was really weird. It's it? I, it's still terrifying to this day. Dorothy makes her way back to Oz, and all of these characters and and、uh, creatures that she came to love are nowhere to be found, and the only person she can find is this evil queen who has all these different detachable heads that.、Uh, All wake up at the same moment and start screaming her name, and oh, it's just terrifying. Oh gosh, you know, I'm seeing, I can see these fuzzy memories in my head. Which I, I think I did see it, but maybe I <laughs> suppressed it, tried to erase them. Yeah, yeah, it's that scary. But I mean, I know that you mention in your book this idea that. Watching scary movies can also help out with our creativity and imagination. What what can you say to that? Well, it it we unfortunately seem to forget about being imaginative and creative and and creating new universes in our mind as we get older and、um, and so you know reading books, watching movies that、um, remind us of different universes, of different scenarios, of just the.、Um, That ideas can kind of can come to life in words on a page or in, in movies and、uh, on TV, and that that gets our creative juices flowing and and reminds us that we can imagine、uh, our own you know different universes and different worlds. And so that kind of creative、um, thinking is so just sat- it's satisfying in and of itself.、Uh, studies show that just taking time to be creative, to be imaginative. Um, boosts our mood. We feel we feel better,、uh, and it also is a, a deeper level of thinking. So it gets us out of the constant multitasking, jumping from one email to、yeah. the other, and really, you know, allows us to just float deep into our our psyche and spend some time、um, to see what comes up and see what ideas present themselves. So that's a satisfying activity to do.、Um, Across our life, and and so I always encourage adults to take some time to do creative writing or drawing or、uh, some kind of imaginative activity. Well, Margie, we really appreciate your time here on Screen Cleaning today. Her name is Margie Kerr, and she is the author of the book Scream: The Chilling Adventures of Science and Fear. And、uh, we wish you all the best of luck with your book. Well, thank you so much. It was great to be on.
Welcome back to Screen Cleaning. We just finished speaking with Margie Kerr, who told us, you know, there may be some good things that come from watching scary movies. I was right all along. (laughs) (laughs) Cole, that's why there's so much good that can be said about you. Thanks. Because you love scary movies. I love I love scary movies of all sorts. The good, the bad, the bad out of something that was good, the good out of something that was bad. Now, what about the remakes? With all and these the horror remakes. remakes that are coming out, all these Stephen King adaptations and, and remakes, you just mentioned one earlier in the program. Do you enjoy those two? What did you think of Pet Cemetery? My personal opinion of Pet Cemetery is I think I would have liked it more if I hadn't seen and been so familiar with the first one. Really? Hmm. Because a lot I of... I you didn't like the first one. I, I mean, it's not great, but a lot of the twists in this second one were only twists to me because I was expecting what happened in the first one to happen again. Sure. And then the opposite happened. But was it hmm. dissimilar enough from the original that it's it's a good remake? I mean, there's a Pet Cemetery and... Things come back to life. (laughs) They don't stray too far. Mickey got the chance to see it without... I had not seen the original. I knew there were pets. I knew there was a cemetery. That's it. Um, And And? I I mildly enjoyed it. I don't think it's anything special. I do think uh, the remake of It was a lot more stylized, a lot more Yeah, a lot more uplifting. (laughs) 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 They do more because they started maybe from a lower point. The original It was just a TV series, Mm -hmm. and this is is a movie. They, They... Golf is different, right? Right, but it is definitely the the better film. Not not what saying is? Pet Cemetery, <laughs> Pet Cemetery is bad, but it the movie. Oh, thank you. The okay. remake is the, it the movie the remake. It's like is, one is of a new, better horror remake. One of I the think. new Disney yeah. properties we didn't get to mention when we were talking Disney Plus was High School Musical the musical, musical. the series. Ooh, sometimes out. I would refer to that as it. Yeah. Um, speaking of it. Um, John or not John Heater, um, who he's going to be in it too. John uh, Bill Hader. Bill oh, Hader. He was on Conan talking about it too, and they were talking about how funny it would be if the sequel was called It's, <laughs> um, or It Is. <laughs> um, but yeah, there's that to look forward to. Keep in mind, I mean, you guys mentioned two movies that are pretty rated R, right? I mean, yes. right. it more so than Pet Cemetery. Stephen King normally trends that way. Right. Right. So be on the lookout for that. Another, I guess you could call it a horror. It's kind of a horror sci-fi fantasy remake. And this is this is the fourth iteration of this television show. So many people were so excited. I think a lot of people have kind of been a little disappointed at the outcome not only the the fact that it's on CBS All Access, so you got to pay another seven or nine bucks or whatever it is to even access this content, but it is Jordan Peele's The Twilight Zone. Mm-hmm. Yes, that's the song. So they've already released. I think they now have three episodes. The first of which. Everyone could access on YouTube for free with no commercials. I don't think I've ever seen another program that was 55 minutes long that didn't have yeah. some sort of mandated they really want commercial, you to right? Subscribe yeah. To that. So the first one is called The Comedian, and it's kind of a cool little uh, – the premise is actually pretty cool. Kumail Nanjani is this – who is a stand-up comedian in real life, although I don't know. 
Is he a stand-up com- comedian? Yeah, that's how he got he his does start. Have stand-up comedy. Okay, he still does stand-up. I so think. he's this struggling stand-up comedian who happens to cross paths with this old, you know, burnt-out comedian played by Tracy Morgan, who is another former stand-up comic in real life, who kind of. Uh, Puts a kind of puts a spell like a of sorts on yeah. him, or curse. Yeah, curse is probably more fitting. Unbeknownst to Kumail Ninjani, who starts to discover things start going weird throughout the episode. People that he mentions in his act kind of cease to exist. Very interesting premise. I was really shocked, by the way, you guys. I didn't know what to expect content-wise, being that this was on CBS All Access and they have a little more liberty to do whatever they want. And uh, And suffice it to say, there is quite a bit of bad language on this CBS All Access show. I was really surprised, kind of disappointed, Hmm. and uh, I'm curious to know what you guys thought of it. The second episode's a lot better. I'll okay. let you know that. Um, but I, I enjoyed it. I don't think it's quite as good as the old Twilight Zone. But, Interesting. Uh, but it's, you know, I think it's worth watching. I think Jordan Peele does a great job. As the narrator. Mm-hmm. Okay. But it it's wasn't enough. longer. I, I mean, I think some of the beauty of the old Twilight Zone was they were very concise in the stories they told. The ones that had messages, they got right to it. You understood what the weird twilight part of this zone was in every episode pretty fast, whereas this just takes a little longer to get into. Hmm. Well, we'll have to see how the other episodes turn out. Hopefully they won't have as much bad language because that just that just put a wet blanket on everything for me. Or maybe I'm the wet blanket in this. I think I'm misusing the phrase. Anyway, when we return, we are going to do what we like to do to end every show, and that is paying for good when we return. Sometimes dead is better. There's good in them there hills. Well, keeping with the theme of scary movies, we thought it fitting if our panning for good segment also stuck with the theme. And maybe even the very first news item we brought to the show, bringing it full circle, uh, a scary thing coming to the play. To, That's right. To the stage. Not on the Broadway, theater. on a much smaller stage, yeah. but still quite impressive. There's a high school in New Jersey, North Bergen High School, that put on a production of Alien. Alien. I don't think I've ever heard of Alien being on the stage and... It, Who I mean, knows if, what Disney's going to do with it now that they have it? Right, right. If you watch, if you watch the trailer, like this, this high school even put together a trailer of their play. I don't ever remember doing that in high school, um, but then I got to see little clips of the play itself, and the costumes were really quite impressive. So much so that it caught the attention of the original film's main star, Sigourney Weaver who was nice enough, and I really do, this was so nice of her to put together this little video to send to the students at North Bergen High School. And we have a little taste of that video right here. Hey guys, I saw a bit of your production of Alien. I just want to say it looked incredible. 
You put so much heart and soul into that. And the alien, I must say, looked very uh, real to me. Um, and I just wanted to send our compliments, uh, not only from me, but from James Cameron and the original screenwriter, Walter Hill. We all say, bravo, well done. And uh, just one more thing. Um, you know, the alien might still be around. So when you're opening your locker... Just do it very slowly. You probably didn't notice, but at the end there, it kind of cuts out like, <laughs> and it's totally meant to be like one of the video journals that you would see in an alien movie. So she really put some effort into this to say congratulations to this group of high school students. And imagine how special that is. You were just oh, a yeah. high schooler. You thought you did a yeah. pretty cool thing. And then all of a sudden Sigourney Weaver is telling you good job as well yeah. as your mom and dad. <laughs> This is just another example of a celebrity using their celebrity to to make p- other people happy. And that's what it's all about, folks. Really. That's what we like saying. That's going to do it for this episode of Screen Cleaning. We can't wait to bring you more of the best in entertainment. That's up next week on Screen Cleaning.